1: Welcome to The Commonwealth Matters, I'm your host, Richard Nelson. Authority, it's something we as humans often resist, and unjust authority is simply something that we do not tolerate. We live in a time where abusive authority is a regular news item, whether in politics, in Hollywood, and even, unfortunately, in the church. So what's our proper understanding of authority, and how should Christians in particular view authority and use it wisely? To help us answer these questions and to think biblically is Jonathan Lehman, I should say Dr. Jonathan Lehman, who is the Editorial Director for Nine Marks Ministries. He teaches at several seminaries, hosts the Pastor's Talk podcast. He's authored over a dozen books, including his most recent book called Authority, How Godly Rule Protects the Vulnerable, Strengthens Communities, and Promotes Human Flourishing. Jonathan, welcome to the Commonwealth Matters.
0: Thank you, Richard. Great to be
1: here. Hey, it's it's really good to have you with us on this timely topic of authority when it seems that so much of authority is abused, and because of the abuse of authority, there's a mistrust in those who wield it. And I think of one of the best recent examples were 51 former U.S. intelligence officials misled Americans regarding information related to the 2020 presidential election. So in this case you have high level government officials that purposely use their positions to mislead others in that in this case it was the American public to influence election results. Now Jonathan we all can agree this is wrong but in this case the consequences are far-ranging by the way but I guess the question is is when something like that happens high level officials misusing information misleading where, where do we begin with that how how can how can trust be restored what do we do as american citizens when we are betrayed with that and that's just one example of the government misleading or abusing authority
0: now first of all i'm a theologian i'm not i'm not a politician and so i, I can't speak to you know the specifics of any given situation Hey, this is exactly what should be done i i do think that we as uh uh citizens of the united states and and i'm speaking as a christian uh, should Look to the accountability processes that have been put in place by our Constitution or by our system and and look for ways to address those, redress those particular injustices, right, as as, as a general thing. I'd say more broadly, uh, I would encourage people to remember that on the one hand, uh, authority can always be misused. We should expect it to be misused. This is a fallen world. Uh, People over us and under us both are going to misuse authority. Don't be surprised. On the other hand, we have an obligation and a duty as citizens to work, to strive, to make sure it is not misused. And there we uh, are going to look to whatever systems are set in place already by our Constitution and address it through constitutional means. I think in extraordinary circumstances, you always have to reserve the right of civil disobedience or something like that. That is always a possibility. But as I said, I think that is more for your extraordinary circumstances where you'd work yeah. outside of the Jonathan,
1: system. Jonathan, in your book were. called, again, Authority How Godly Rule Protects the Vulnerable, Strengthens Communities, and Promotes Human Flourishing, you give an example early on in the book of a school in a middle school in Portland, Oregon, that became so unruly where fighting and abuse was rampant that school officials sent out an email to parents. Saying that we're going to shut down the school for three weeks. Um, essentially, school officials lost trust in the students. Um, they, they were it was unruly. They could not rein kids in, so they just they took a three week break. Um, now, now it's clear in this example. I didn't hear that by the way. That seemed like it should have been national news. I don't remember that it did happen in 2021. But wow, um, it, no, that example. I think, or that situation shows that we need authority, right? Whether it's in our schools or society or and in the church. So we live in a time where authority is being rejected and the consequence is um, bedlam, if you will, at least in that school in Portland, Oregon. How can a biblical understanding of authority be established? And just a footnote here for the listeners Um, Jonathan and I are approaching this subject of authority from a biblical worldview, where we believe there's a a creator God who has all authority, and then then authority is derivative. But we live in a postmodern, post-Christian culture where uh, that idea has been rejected. So so Jonathan, how can we reestablish this understanding of, of true authority, if you will?
0: Yeah, I was staying with friends in Portland at the time, and they said, "Oh, you wouldn't believe this. Just last week, this happened." I thought, "You're you're kidding me," and so I looked it up in the you know on the internet, and sure enough, this this school had closed down, as you said, for, for several weeks, because it's a junior high or a middle school, the adults could not get control eleven to thirteen year olds, and that made me quite you know ask the question, okay, what, what kind of place are we living in where the adults in the room quote unquote cannot get control of the 11 to the 13 year olds such that finally they have to shut down. And I think the answer in part is that we live in a society and a culture, whether we're talking, you know, some of the, uh, some of the, some of the poorer neighborhoods and even frankly, some of the richer neighborhoods, both where we no longer believe in authority, where adults are afraid to be adults, where if adults are afraid to stand up and say, this is right, this is wrong. You're going to live by this. And if you don't, there are consequences, right? We're all just trying to please one another and not be too aggressive and we're we're afraid of authority in many ways. This goes back to the entire Enlightenment project, right? Starting with Descartes and so forth. Like, how do we know anything is true? Like, because the Bible says, because religion says, because Grandpa said, because the states. Well, the last three hundred years have been this project of sort of deconstructing every form of authority that exists. Now, there's a good reason for that, and that's because we know authority can be abused. We're right to be suspicious of authority. That is a good instinct, but. It's only half the formula. It's like one hand, and i got to give you two hands. On the other hand, authority is intended by God for our good. Think about the word authority. Authority. Authority authors life, right? So think about Adam and Eve in creation. They're called to give dominion to the earth. So what, 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 what does the ruler do? Well, the ruler should create, right? God the creator is God the ruler who creates, and good authority works to create it works to build up think about a good mother mothering a good coach coaching a, you know a, a good teacher teaching the, the mother the coach the teacher is working to create life and knowledge and understanding and all of these things and those over whom they have authority and authority is to be used to create to embolden to encourage to build up to give somebody a track to run on a floor to dance on right what that means is and this is the tough thing people don't Like is you gotta do two things at once. On the one hand, you gotta keep one eye. I'm switching metaphors, hands, eyes. Okay, one eye on bad authority. Let's be suspicious of, let's work against bad authority, because bad authority destroys, bad authority is selfish, bad authority wilts, annihilates, sucks dry, exterminates, uses, abuse. That's bad authority. Again, I keep one eye on that at all times. On the other hand, let's keep one eye on good authority and what good authority does, as I was saying a moment ago. And the tough thing about living as a human being in a fallen, created good, but fallen and dangerous world is you got to do both at all times. So let's get some mechanisms in place to work against the bad and yet also provide an opportunity for the good. And what you get in some ways, you know, American politics over the centuries, last couple of centuries, is that is often about you got one party that's like eh hey, authority's good let's build and you got another authority saying another party saying oh authority's a bad let's you know let's do all we can to bring authority down and you get this tussle in the political square public square between these different instincts the instinct of hey let's build up with good authority and the instinct of hey let's protect against bad authority and wisdom is often about how do you thread the needle how do you navigate both sides of those things a good parent knows this right If any of you have kids who are listening to this, you know that you want to equip and enable and encourage your kids with good, and you use your authority to that end. But you also know that you can't give your kids too much freedom until they're ready for it. And so you hold back, you restrain, you discipline, you correct. Again, wisdom is knowing how to do
1: both. Uh, In our context here of uh, American citizens, um, we have presidents, we have congressmen. Um, who are wielding authority, and yet they are flawed, sinful, imperfect creatures. Uh, I'm a student of history. I love to read biographies. And as I learn more about significant uh, politicians in our history, I'm learning just how uh, uh, flawed they are. (laughs) And people that we've looked up to, there's this image and perception that we have of some of our leaders. I'm thinking of John F. Kennedy. I'm thinking of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, very flawed uh, individuals who there's this public image of them, and they certainly had some very good leadership skills. But when you scratch the surface and look a little deeper, they were very flawed individuals. So considering that we are flawed, um, uh, to what degree should we put our uh, faith or trust in these temporal uh, flawed leaders, Jonathan? I I don't know if that's the right question, but look, we do not have, this is where I'm getting we do not have the best examples of what authority with integrity looks like, right? Cause we are, we're flawed.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's the best question. Mixed, right? Mixed. Yeah. Potential for good potential for bad. Give me opportunity to, 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 to lead you and exercise authority in, in this. You know, I'm a Chick-fil-A manager. I'm a husband and father in a home. I'm a pastor in a church. I am, you know, you name it. F- find some domain where somebody has some measure of authority. Uh, and I, I'm gonna say, as the person, let's say, who's stepping into that position, I wanna say, hey, listen, give me a chance. Give me a chance to lead, give me a chance, put some trust in me. I, I need you to follow, right? Hey kids, I need you to listen to me. Hey, hey, uh, you know, people working the Chick-fil-A franchise I'm in here, I, I'm I'm gonna lead here. At the same time, authority is never absolute. Only God's authority is absolute. Human authority is always relative. Why? Because it's number one, assigned from God. Number two, because it's it's mixed. I'm going to do potential for good, but potential for bad. And so that means we just need to be careful about it. Now, look, let's go back to your original conversation about politics. In some ways, what you see with different political visions in, in a country, Thomas Sowell said this really well in his book, Conflict of Visions. It kind of comes back to your doctrine of man, your anthropology. Do you see human beings as perfectible, as always moving towards perfection, or do you see human beings fundamentally as mixed, right? Basically what you described, Richard, is is potential for good, but also potential for bad. If you have a vision of the human being as sort of perfectible, you're going to adopt more of a progressive view, or you just trust the leaders, the, the, the leaders, the experts, the bureaucrats, they know exactly what this country needs, right? Or do you have an understanding that no, people are potentially good, but they're also fallen? And so we need to put mechanisms in place to, to restrain them, separation of powers you know, and so forth, bicameral legislature and so forth, uh, periodic elections. Well, if, if you have a mixed anthropology, understanding people is potentially good and potentially bad, then you're going to have a more restrained view of what the human being is capable of. And so then back to just practical domain, whether I'm the, I'm the manager in, in my, my fast food fresh franchise, I'm a pastor in a church, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband in a home. Well, it means I step in humbly as the leader, learning to be corrected and willing to have conversations. Hey, sweetheart, what uh, what did I do wrong? Help me understand. I want, I want to do a better job next time. You know, I would say to my wife or, or to even to p- people who work for me, hey, I, I, I don't assume I'm perfectible. Um, uh, but at the same time, willing to lead, bold to lead, courageous to lead. I need to be able to do that too. So, you know, just very practically, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example from my church. Before a man becomes an elder in our church, we want to know that A, he's godly, but B, he's also willing to submit to and be corrected by other elders. If a a, a person cannot be corrected, if a person cannot submit to other authority figures, a person shouldn't lead. It's almost that simple. I'm going to trust the person to lead whether we're talking about a home, a business, a, a, a military, uh, the corporate America, I'm I'm going to trust the person to lead who also knows how to submit and is correctable.
1: Yeah. You just use the S word, uh, submit, <laughs> not a popular That's word, but, but, but it goes hand in hand with authority. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Jonathan Lehman, and we are talking about authority. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Is America a Christian nation? To what extent did followers of Jesus influence the founding of the United States? And what role does Christianity have in the public square today? Hi, this is Richard Nelson with the Commonwealth Policy Center. If these are questions that you're looking for answers for, then join us on Thursday, September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville. That's where we're holding a conference on Christian nationalism. Join John Wilsey, Andrew Walker, and Colin Smothers as we talk about our history, biblical principles, ethics, and how Christians should engage the culture today. You don't want to miss this important event. So join us on Thursday, September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville. For more information and to register, go to our website, commonwealthpolicycenter.org. That's Commonwealth Policy Center, and we look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Jonathan Lehman, and we are talking about authority. Uh, Jonathan, uh, the Great Commission speaks of Jesus's authority. In Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, uh, Jesus came and said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he charges uh, the listeners, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Um, so Jesus uh, has all authority. Um, so how can we relate this truth as believers who, who really believe this, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? How do we relate that truth um, to a post-truth, post-Christian culture? And let me narrow that down I'm thinking of the believer who takes their faith seriously, and they're in a position of authority. Let's say they're a congressman, or maybe they're a, a business manager, maybe they're in the media realm. How do they take, how can they parlay that truth of Jesus Christ having all authority and, and relating that to their sphere of influence?
0: Yeah, great question. Uh, first and foremost, recognize that if you're in authority, you are under authority, which means you will be held accountable, which means uh, you uh, are going to stand there on judgment day. And God Mm -hmm. is going to say to you, how did you steward the authority that I gave you? Your, your authority is a stewardship. It is a gift. You're a landlord. You are not an owner, right? Mm -hmm. And King Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, as you said, who has lordship over every domain of our lives is going to hold every authority figure and call them to account. You're a husband. You're a father. You're as you as you said, a, somebody in the business realm, and so forth. You're 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 a second lieutenant over a, a squad of soldiers. Uh, King Jesus is going to call you account. You are under authority. Uh, I think that's the first and most important thing. And then the second, well, I could give you a bunch, but a second thing is to recognize that you have been given that authority not for your own gain, not for your own growth and progress, but for the growth and gain and progress of those under you, right? That is why you have authority is to author, as I said a few moments ago, life and those you are leading. Right. So you know, here's here's and that, that often means you're you're gonna draw the costs up into yourself. So that the temptation for many of people in figures of authority uh, positions of authority is to sort of push costs downward. Right. Here's here's an illustration. I I'm sitting on a couch my 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 daughter my nine-year-old daughter's on the other side of the room she's sitting there doing something And I say, hey, sweetheart, because she's still very compliant and very submissive. She's not a teenager yet. I say, sweetheart, can you go get me a glass of water or whatever? And she's like, okay, daddy, what am I doing in that moment? In a sense, I'm pushing costs of, I don't want to get up out of the chair. You know, I'm kind of comfortable here. I'm pushing costs downward onto her rather than drawing them upward to myself. Now, to be clear, there is a place for people in positions of authority to push costs downward. So the general says, you know, take the hill, you know, the soldiers got to run out and take the hill. I mean, that's the job, right? So there is a time and a place to put push costs downward, but there's also a place a good authority figure knows that because Jesus is Lord over everything. And I'm just a steward of it. I'm going to do all I can to draw costs upward into myself. Think about Jesus' own words. The son of man came, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's amazing. King Jesus, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, drew costs upward into himself. He bore them for our sin on the cross and then rose again and then calls us to use our authority to do the same.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. So as Christians, we should understand that we are under authority. What you're also saying is that authority is something to be stewarded for the well-being of others, right? So uh In the church, followers of Jesus have an obligation to model what good and true and righteous authority looks like. Now, here's the question. What do we do when the church messes up? I I think of a a podcast series um, that came out not too long ago called The Fall and Rise of Mars Hill, and it linked the complete collapse of a megachurch to abusive authority. So here's my question. What is the Christian responsibility, To confront bad authority, let's say, for example, that the entire church leadership is just corrupt, or they've given in to an abusive leader, and that the church elders are afraid to stand up to them. What? How about that church member? Where do they begin if they are part of an abusive authority structure in the church?
0: Uh, Number one, if you think it's if you have a chance of changing things at all, uh, you as a church member should go and talk to an elder, a pastor, and confront them over the matter. Now look, we we we've all been in those situations where we're in a, a office uh, where you know the the people or a school or a whatever a church maybe hopefully not but maybe uh, in which you know that the teachers the pastors the the bosses the whomever are uncorrectable they're intransigent and uh, are unwilling to be corrected. You know, in a situation like that, I might just say, leave the church, flee, go find a church you can join where you trust the pastors to use their authority well. Now, children in the home of a bad dad don't have that choice. Uh, your f- economic circumstances might be such that you can't just quit your job, even though you have a terrible boss. Like, I, I once had a terrible boss, and I, I was at a place in life where I, I couldn't just easily leave. A church you can leave, and I would encourage you to do so. Do not continue to give your tithe money and your physical support and presence to a church where the leaders are bad and abusive. Right. Uh, Broadly, what is it? What is a Christian's responsibility? Number one is to recognize that when we use our authority poorly and abusively, we are lying about God. We are telling everybody around us God abuses His authority. I remember Mm -hmm. a couple of nights before I got married, I went to my pastor and I said, "So, Mark, you got any final words of advice for me before uh, I, I marry Shannon?" He said, "Jonathan." He kind of stopped. It was kind of sober, quiet moment. He said, "Jonathan." You will be God's number one representative of his own authority in her life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You must never use your authority to harm or abuse her, because then you'll be lying about God. Wow. Now, that was, that was sobering. And he said, only use your authority for her good. So what, what that means is, uh, number one, be very careful about how you use your authority never to harm, abuse. Uh, number two, yeah, speak out against it and when 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 you're under it or when you're a friend. Or now that takes a lot of wisdom in a case by case situations. I mean, I, I'm an elder of a church, right? And I, I've had people come to me and make accusations about another elder, or and sometimes those accusations, so and so is spiritually abusive. Well, what do you mean by that? Let's have a conversation. I don't I don't immediately believe every accusation at the moment across a person's lips uh you know you, there needs to be due process we need to have conversations we need to look into it and so forth nonetheless yeah we need to be willing to listen and have those conversations and confront
1: jonathan i'd like to pivot to another book that you wrote a few years ago called how the nations rage um and you talk about the church being a prophetic witness and you say in one part uh a church must therefore disciple its members in the way of righteousness and justice this is what I, this is referring to you, have been getting at throughout this book by describing the church as a model political community where to demonstrate for the nations the way of true righteousness and justice. Um, there's a lot there, but I want to speak to the pastors. Um, in our, here at CPC, we work with churches across the state. And my experience is that pastors seem to fall into one of two ruts they either avoid discipleship on politics or political issues because they don't want to divide their congregation. The other rut is that there are some pastors who hyper-politicize the issues in a partisan fashion. So uh, h- how does discipleship look regarding political issues without being partisan or hyper-political? I think <laughs> your,
0: your, your question set it up well, though. There's errors on two sides of the roads. And on the one hand, we as, as pastors and as believers know that if Jesus is Lord over everything, he makes a certain claim in the political sphere, right? And pastors need to disciple their members as it were politically. Politics is just one area of obedience. So don't give me, hey, I have this religious area of my life, and then I have this political area of my life. No, Jesus is Lord over everything, Politics and how we engage politically is part of our discipleship, part of our obedience to King Jesus. That said, we also have Romans 14 in our Bible, which talks about the freedom of conscience or Christian conscience and many things in the political sphere. They're, 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 you know, the Bible doesn't specify. They're just, they're, they're, matters of prudence. So this healthcare plan or that healthcare plan, does Jesus call for this tax rate or that tax rate? There's a lot of these issues that are just areas of, prudence right and so part of pastoral discipleship is recognizing okay what does the bible speak to clearly what's what you might call a straight line issue and what's what you might call a jagged line issue where christians are free to disagree even if they're trying to bring biblical principles to bear you and i might disagree on exactly a flat tax structure or a progressive tax structure okay jesus just doesn't say so number one we have to exercise discernment between these two types straight line or jagged line issues uh number two Pastors are responsible to preach the Bible and equip their saints to step into the public square and act reasonably and responsibly, knowing that they are in submission to King Jesus. And we're going to disagree on what exactly the Bible says in all times, but there I want to just say, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's exercise some charity that even if you and I disagree on some of these political matters, we can still come to the Lord's table together. Always recognizing that some, some issues, yeah, are, are beyond the pale.
1: Yeah, that's a good word, and we've got maybe thirty seconds here. I just I'll, I'll share one other comment, and then quickly we'll we'll end. But from your book, "How the Nations Rage," you said that God intends for government to build platforms of justice, peace, order, and flourishing for all their citizens, so that the people of God can get on with their work. So uh, I think there's a both and as far as participation, we want Christians to have their own house in order to be good parents to steward authority well in the home but also to steward it well in the church and when we have our act together what i'm hearing you say here is that then we can get involved with government influence the government properly become a first of all become a proper witness a a biblical witness to how god has designed things Do you have in 30 seconds jonathan do you have any final word to to share on this
0: i do think the, the platform that government offers is crucial and i think christians should care about these things uh Government comes and establishes a common grace platform for God's special grace purposes. So I, I need to learn how to read before I can read the Bible. That that's the relationship. I, I need a government that that paves the street and polices the street so that I can get to church, learn the gospel, and share the gospel. And that's I I need a church that, a government that protects the womb so that I can live and and hear the gospel.